Hello, regulars. You're listening to Floor by Floor, a Tower of God podcast discussing the latest chapters of the webtoon. I'm Viraline. And I'm Reziat. And we're your hosts. Welcome to the 16th floor, where we'll be discussing chapters 584 and 585, or Season 3, Episode 167 and 168. Let's start with Chapter 584's summary. We start at Lobodon's and Hugo's battle. Lobodon's army remains in a defensive stance, occasionally launching long-range attacks. Hugo asks about the destroyed gate, and Biribiri, her vice-captain, says fixing it is impossible, but it had no strategic value anyway. They must have confused it for one that connected to the mothership. It makes Hugo wonder what they're up to. Lobodon gets a report that there's no movement from the opposing side's rankers, but if they were to be dispatched, it would mean taking losses. They should deploy the beeskin just in case. Lobodon says no, they have to keep their promise. He'd heard that Hugo enjoys fighting, but she's not one to sacrifice her troops. As long as they don't cause a lot of damage, Hugo won't retaliate rashly. They have to believe in the two that infiltrated the village. In the docking ship from the victor's fleet, the shoe seller is cussing out Hugo for not buying from him. He's getting messages on an app saying Hugo isn't someone that aligns with them. The seller then opens a suitcase-shaped ship and lets out some beasts, ordering them to get rid of those who interfere with the coop. There's a big explosion and Hugo gets alerted that it came from inside. She assumes Lobodon planted it and was waiting for this. Ketan informs Kadidi about the explosion and tells him it wasn't them. Kadidi then finds out Kieran's army has suddenly shown up and is skewering the Pobada army. Hugo orders the rankers to be dispatched and for Biribiri to take over the defense. She tells him to request support from the mothership and tell the troops to withdraw while she attacks Lobodon. Biribiri opposes the plan, saying she is of more value than the group, but she is determined to buy the group time. Meanwhile, Lobodon wonders what Kieran is up to. Hugo zooms to Lobodon's ship and runs amok as she attacks, bragging about her shining flare. Kadidi warns Lobodon that Hugo is headed towards a transport ship with the beeskin, so Lobodon shows up to stop her. Hugo introduces herself, calling them both famous within their own families. Lobodon asks her to consider the difference in their army strength and to withdraw, but Hugo declines due to family orders. Lobodon tells her it's a difficult situation, so it would be best for them not to fight each other. Hugo is confused because the Lopo side is currently attacking her fleet, and they should at least stop before asking that. Lobodon is regretful that he can't stop it and decides to fight Hugo after all. We move to Giscard and Yasracha and Yama's fight. The cuff that transformed into a spear is now pierced through Yasracha's chest. Giscard figures out Yasracha doesn't have a normal heart, but a jewel, and that the spear has chipped it. He tells him the effect is actually in the remaining cuff, and only the key on his body will unlock it. He then threatens to destroy the rest of the jewel if they don't sit still, and leaves them. Giscard picks up the book as Yasracha tells Yama he'll stop Giscard for him. When Giscard gets near, Yasracha pounces and scratches Giscard's face, but his jewel shatters in the process. Yama follows up with a punch so powerful it pops Giscard's head like a balloon. As they escape with the book, Yama tells Yasracha that he saw his father's memories and that his father thought of him as his one and only companion. Yasracha says it would have been great if Wanwan had said it to him directly as his tail wags. He then tells Yama that his mom used to always say it would have been nice if Wanwan had escaped the Lopobia and led the beastkin. Yama, with the power of the ancients that the ten great families fear, should become king of the beastkin. In the library, one of the librarians screams as she finds Giscard's body. 
She laments such a cruel thing happening, but says that at least they did not take the real book. The real book is camouflaged among regular books. She plucks it from one of the shelves and says that she will deliver it to the family head herself. And that's the end of that chapter. Poor Giscard's appearance was cut short with a brutal death, and it seems like Yisracha is finally on his last breath. We'll see you let him rest. Please. The poor man's just being dragged around everywhere at this point. He can't even stand anymore. Well, let's continue to chapter 585. Yama runs out of the library with Yasracha on his back and notices there's a shield around the village. A ship arrives and the librarian runs out with the book in her arms. Yama sees the book and deduces that the one he has must be a fake one. Yama jumps down and demands to see the book she's carrying. A powerful spear swing interrupts them, and Yasracha warns Yama to run away because that's Dumas, ranked third in the Pobedal army. Yama blocks another blow, and his wrist is shredded to the bone. Another high-ranker, Pobedal Richmond, exits the ship, and the librarian runs up to him with the book. She says she's been following generational tradition of taking care of that book, all for this moment where she hands it off. Richmond takes the book, and a librarian's throat gets slit by an attack. Richemont says thank you, but no one can know about the existence of the book. With the book in hand, they board the ship. We cut to Lobodon and Hugo's battle. Kieran's army is decimating the Pobodal army, and Kadidi cheers on, thinking it was planned by his grandpa Lobodon. Gitan plays along, but he's worried because they can't attack Kieran's army unless they want to be branded traitors. The warp gate suddenly glows, and Kadidi says it's Laura's code that was used to open it. A ship comes through and Baum and company step out. They see the mess that Kirin's army is making, and Baum wonders what kind of person Kirin is. There's a flashback to Laura talking to Baum about Kirin. She said he's the oldest direct descendant of the family head along with Lobodon, but still, the relationship isn't great. Lobodon served on the battlefield while Kirin took care of internal affairs. Kirin takes advantage of the family head's shut-in nature and manipulates the family according to his will. Laura then gives Bob data about the Kirin army and tells him to be careful if they run into them because they will be his enemy. Back to the present, Bob and company get ready and attack Kirin's army. Kirin's army is caught off guard as they realize the Irregular is here. Hugo is attacking Lobodon, but Lobodon is blocking everything with his tree trunk that's wrapped around him. Hugo is annoyed by how sturdy it is. She believes he's hiding something in a transport ship, so she brings out her most cherished weapon made by the tower's hottest blacksmith. The weapon is made up of sections of blades and it manages to cut through Lobodon's defense. She launches an attack through the crack and Lobodon blocks it with his wrist guard. Lobodon tells her she will come to regret this and Hugo says she's one to act first, regret later anyway. Lobodon launches a primal punch and it shatters Hugo's prized weapon. She's impressed by how shining and luxurious his attack is as she's blown away. And that's the end of the chapter. I love that we don't really get much more of what happens to her other than she just flies off into the sunset. All that was missing was the Team Rocket Sparkle. Quite a character, and I hope we get to see some more of her because she was very entertaining. I hope she's not gone. She's amazing, and man, Bellarier is just throwing her away because of his plans. Not cool, man. Come on. I know she's eccentric. I'm sure she's got to be useful for something besides cracking jokes and wearing bling. 
and attacking with brand logos. Yeah, that was so funny. She made quite an impression. I'll be very sad if she's gone. It was awesome to see Lobodon defending as he was. And it was really interesting to see him fire off what seems to be a more powerful version of Cha's primal punch. Like, what? After seeing that, could Cha be a key in the plot in the upcoming chapters? It seems to suggest a historical link between them, and their ages line up and having been living at the same time in the past. Because, like, remember, the Hidden Grove were a strike team that went around assassinating the first generation of the family head's descendants, for reasons still yet unknown. So it makes you wonder, how long has you been planning this too? So hey, maybe we'll get some actual important revelations soon. Because so far, we've been hoping for that. And we've gotten inklings into things, but we're still waiting. Seems to be the theme of Tower of God. Waiting, waiting, waiting. While cool stuff happens, nonetheless. Such as, we're still waiting to see if Yasracha's gonna make it or not. Like we said earlier, see you, please. He needs to be laid to rest, a poor thing. Yeah, he did say he didn't have much time when his jewel was already cracked. And now that it's shattered, how much time can there be left? Like 30 minutes? <laughs> how much more do you need? Let him see Wong Wong already. They were supposed to be more than just teammates, I swear. It's heartbreaking stuff. That was really sad, that little exchange, and I'm happy it made him. I wouldn't be surprised if Yama, with his power, comes up with something to restore him or something. Hopefully it's something believable. I don't know. To me, for the narrative, it would just, like, be better if Yastrachar is laid to rest. Yeah. Because I feel like if we get another Arya situation, it's just, like, there are no consequences. It feels a little cheap. I'll be sad. I like Yastrasha. Yastrasha became a very likable villain, but, and well, he wasn't a villain in the end, but. <sighs> it tears you apart because you want to keep him, but also how much more are you going to wring out of this poor guy? He's already flopped on the floor, unconscious. Yama did just toss him aside. <laughs> just threw him aside and was like, are you okay? <laughs> no. Asking him if he's okay when he was like, I don't care if you die. Oh no, you're actually dying? It's not supposed to be like this. Talking about Yama, how is he going to get himself out of this one? Is he going to be able to get the book or not? I would be impressed if we are not only given Yama using his brain for once, but him actually stepping up and demonstrating why he was granted the Slayer title in the first place. Will he finally quit taking L's? And like, let's see who he's faced up against. Richemont seems terrifying as it wasn't shown how exactly he murdered that librarian. She just exploded in a spray of blood from behind and that was it. And he didn't even get any of it on himself. And like Dumas is just this quiet imposing spear bearer who, well, has torn up the environment with just one swing. If Yama can beat them, it would be nice. But also Yama beating them? Considering his track record, who knows? Yeah, I think he's outpowered here. There's nothing he can do. Well, for alternatives, we gotta wonder, are Yama and Yastracha currently trapped within the dome until Dumas and Richemont leave? Or do they have to make a break for the hangar with a Pogadal on their heels? Seriously? See you, just let Yastracha rest, please. Maybe make Yama crack finally and finally exhibit some real power. 
it would be exciting to see. Same as what's happening on the other side of the battlefield, where we get Raccoon, Bombin, and Dorsey finally walking on the scene. I think they look great. They look so cool. Yes, <laughs> they do. I really like Bomb's new top. It's very classy and comfortable. But his pants. Hmm. Looks like a little preppy boy, doesn't he? Preppy boy up top and like sweatpants on the bottom with some Nikes. It's like casual day at school. Business casual. And then Dorsey looks ready to go run on the treadmill. But hey, they follow their track record of just coming in and causing chaos. It's interesting to me still to see Bomb just coming in blasting without asking questions. Just having him come in and dominating and seeing how far he's come and that he recognizes when not to hesitate to exercise force when needed. It's such a big change. I feel like he's in control though. Like he won't go off the rails with power. He recognizes when his opponents are not as strong. So I think he's definitely got a handle on this power. I just hope that he catches Lobodon's attention before Kieran shows up. But, well, Kieran's on his way. Like Kuhn said, this is a mess. Everyone's plan is ruined. Except Kieran's, technically. So far. It still hasn't been 100% confirmed whether or not he's working with Revolution or if he's working on his own terms. But we shall see. And very soon. I look forward to finding out what side he's on. Oh, speaking of Kuhn... Um, when Bauman and Dorsey teleported away, Rock was seen summoning his ancient spear carrier. I sincerely hope that we not only get some Rock and Coon battle action and see how White's power has affected them both, but that the two of them employ their spear bearer skills together. Please, Seal, give us spear bearer Coon. I have been asking for this for several years now. We know he's got it in him. We know he's trained for it a little bit. He can do it. Even Evan said he would could perfectly just take up the spear bearer slot on the team if he wanted to. Come on! You can't have given us the awesome ice skating thing in the hidden floor and then just do nothing with it. Or better yet, seeing all four of them working as a team together to get things done would be great. But I also hope this doesn't turn into a rescue mission to save Yama. Please let other people other than Bomb fight their own battles. Speaking about fighting their own battles... That whole bit in Laura and Baum's conversation was really interesting to me. Like, Kieran is a direct descendant of Traumarai? What? Several chapters ago, it was mentioned that there were only two other people in all of the Lopobia who could exhibit the same level of power and authority in place of Traumarai. And, well, Kieran and Lopadon seem to be them. That we're going to see them clash here, most likely, is going to happen. There's been loads of rumors going around that Kieran is the actual traitor here, and that would be very spicy. I'm kind of hoping it gets brought to light and analyzed. Or, you know, we just get the answer to the matter. Is he? Is he not? Are they both traitors? Or are neither? Or better yet, a realization that they're all getting played by revolution, but it's too late to do anything about it now, and everything is just going to implode. Yeah, there was that explosion that they set off on the inside. But what else is next? Like, Revolution has got to have something planned next. They've been playing from the shadows so far. Who's on whose side? Will Bomb just blow everyone up? Bomb will probably be manipulated into blowing everything up or facilitating it for them. Revolution's goal is, honestly, to take out the Ten Great Families. So 
playing Tramurai against Gustang as they are, and maybe Tramurai being the first to go down, how are they going to handle Gustang afterward? Everyone seems to be getting played here. And I feel like it's going to be the Lopopia who are going to bite the dust here. I mean, they're mostly losing. A lot of their members have died. Several of their branch leaders are gone. And Tramurai right now is in Gustang's hands. Too busy playing little puzzle games. <laughs> and also, just for the sake of Kirin, I was reading up a little bit on the history of Kirin's Divine Beast. And in mythology, it's said that a Kirin comes and appears whenever someone of great importance either shows up or passes. An illustrious ruler, I believe, was the word that was used. So it's very possible that that was a hint that Kirin himself may be the linchpin to what causes this whole thing to collapse or the entire family to collapse. Maybe he definitely is the traitor or his actions are just enough to basically tumble the Jenga tower. There's still so much plot that we have to pull out of Trauma Ray, though. So it's like, when are we going to fit all that information in in between the fall of the family? There's just so much information that Siu has to give us still. I don't even know how he's going to fit all of that in there. There's a chance we might even get it posthumously. What with Leviathan having so many of his memories and Balm being told that he needs the three dragons that Traumarai owns, one of which he now possesses, which is a Leviathan, and the poison dragon that was revealed in that one chapter with those added panels that Traumarai directly controls that he used against Gustang in a hangar with the submarine. And what is the third one? There's so much going on here. I'm sure he's got a plan, but it's such a convoluted plan. We just got to wait and find out. As always, next week holds all the answers, or at least hooks us for the answers in the future. Well, with that, that's this week's episode, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us, regulars. We'll see you on the next floor. Have a good one. Goodbye.